Yeah, it would help if I press the recording button. There we it go. Would help there we go. Just because it's recording. There Good. we go. Have you got that Good. wonderful, wonderful? That little what if, the red light is on, Rubes. The red light is on. Who are we talking to today? We've got some wonderful guests today, actually. Hello. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back. Hope you've enjoyed the past episodes that we've been putting out. Um, we've got the wonderful Neil and Katie from the NHSBT marketing team with us. And they're telling us about kind of their personal stories, how they got involved, and just some of the projects and things that they're getting involved in and have got involved in. And I don't know why I'm doing this voice. I don't know why I'm doing this voice. I have no idea. Do you, would you like me to step in, Rubes? Please, yeah. We, is it, there is something that you did so, want to um, say. There is a reason why we recorded yeah, this intro. Much there, like that it? intro there, I didn't talk much in this episode <laughs> because my Wi-Fi went, now I'm good, pal and decided to go into recess. So yeah. it dropped mid-interview, so I don't talk much. Um, and because of that, there's also a couple of interesting audio noises, which you yeah. might pick up. If that's the case, I apologise. I'm going to edit it as much as I can, but honestly, there's only so much I can be bothered to do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I oh, have a life. Um, this is but- true. It is good. It's a really good episode. It's they a talk really about good some episode. genuinely really interesting stuff. Um make me and rubes look like amateurs to be honest which yeah, is fine which we are which we are uh, because they really <laughs> which they they really knew i think i definitely highlight that in the episode a couple of uh, yeah. mentions of the netherlands but um yeah i think i think um it's a really wonderful episode and i think it's really i think misinformation especially with everything going on right now is like rife so it's really nice to have two really well-informed people who know yeah. what they're talking about so tune in let us know what you think and yeah. enjoy Enjoy us trying to talk over Zoom. It's fantastic. Yeah. Mm. Doodles. <laughs> this is the Professional Patients Podcast with Ruben and Ollie. Rubes, do your thing. Hi. So today, Ollie and I are here with the lovely Neil and Katie. So, um, hi everyone. If you want to give a little quick hello, hello. <laughs> they are here. They are here. They're um, on our computer screens, unfortunately. Sorry, I'm kind of trying to build up some sort of audience participation. I'm so used to doing live shows, but this is really not happening over Zoom, is it? <laughs> Let's start with Neil. So, Neil, tell us a bit about yourself. Um, yeah, what do you do? Who are you? <laughs> that's a big question isn't it yeah. <laughs> um okay so i'm i'm neil sims i work for nhs blood and transplant and have done for 15 years um i think i've been really fortunate to work for the organization for that long um just because it's it's such an interesting line of work that i've that i've ended up in um and so i, I work in the marketing team um, when i started i worked in the blood donation marketing team and I did that for about 11 and a half years, um, promoting blood donation sessions and basically encouraging people to give blood uh, all around the north where I'm based. Uh, and then three and a half years ago, I moved into the organ donation marketing team, uh, which is just absolutely fascinating as a subject to, to kind of get into and to, to really try and understand. Um, it's, it's such a big subject that I think, you know, the people in the team that have been here longer than me that are still like, yeah understand it a bit you know there's a, there's a lot to kind of um uh, a lot to learn about organ donation um and you know the more you talk to people like yourselves you know who've had transplants and, and the more you talk to donor families you understand more and more and it's just yeah, really interesting 
line of work to be involved in. No, that's great. I mean, you said people have been working longer than you, but you've been working for a, you're doing a very long stint and hopefully um, it's keeping you there, especially yeah. after like considering the move from, you know, blood donation to kind of organ donation must be, yeah, must be really interesting. Obviously we're very grateful for all the work that you both do, but yeah, thanks Neil. Um, how about yourself, Katie? Tell us a bit about yourself, just a brief one before we get into the nitty gritty. Sure. Yeah, so my name is Katie Portel. I'm the Ambassador Program Manager with NHS Blood and Transplant. And uh, so I am, am building up, developing and, and, and running uh, a national team of volunteers to help us promote organ donation in UK communities. So we, we recruit and train uh, recipients and uh, donor families, living donors, you know, people who also share our passion. Uh, but are embedded in the communities and we try and empower their voices and um, I've not been with NHSBT uh, as as long I don't have quite that track record but I I think I just passed my three-year uh, mark so I've been with NHS oh, okay. three years but I've worked in organization in the states before that and as a volunteer myself but we'll get into why why I volunteer and a little bit later yeah tune in for <laughs> Katie's story no I think yeah no that's really that's really great I think um yeah, you have a more of a kind of personal uh, relation to the situation. Whereas Neil, I think it's really nice equally, if not more, that kind of, I think you said in your words, like you stumbled across it, but the fact that we're keeping you is great because you're doing <laughs> wonderful things for us. So please don't go. Um, but yeah, um, but could, you, could you speak a little bit about, I mean, obviously what you can, what you're allowed to and able to, about some of the projects that you're involved in at the moment in terms of raising awareness for um, NHS organ donation? Yeah, of course. So uh, as we stand at the moment, sort of February 2020, we've just launched uh, 2021. Yeah, I think I'm making that mistake all the time. 2020 doesn't, I don't even know what happened. It never happened, right? Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, February 2021, we've just launched uh, a big campaign uh, entitled Leave Them Certain. Yes, uh, we've seen it. We love it. Great. Okay. So there's, yeah, there's, there's lots of different aspects to that campaign, including uh, TV advert. Um, which hopefully people have seen. There's a big radio campaign that we're launching um, across national and regional radio stations uh, this Friday. So that's the 19th of February that we're doing that. Um, there's uh, there's all different aspects to it. Basically, there's like, newspaper coverage, magazine coverage, um, partnerships that have been created through this this campaign. And the whole the whole uh, sort of idea of it is really to to stress the importance to people of um, making their donation decision and sharing their donation decision um, so that basically your loved ones are left certain of what you want, whether it's to donate or not to donate. Just yeah. leave people certain. That's the, that's the whole theme of it, really. I think, I think it definitely clarifies things um, in terms of the whole opt-out. What I mean, you know, what is the opt-out for anyone who doesn't know in including myself because I feel like I, I still I mean I do know obviously but I don't know to the you know what you're more experienced so I'm going to let you answer this question <laughs> what is the opt-out system okay what, what actually, <laughs> and the reason why I bring that up is because I think leave leave them certain clarifies things a lot more like in terms of having this conversation but yeah let me um actually ask one question at a time um <laughs> doing great you can, you can see that this isn't my uh, day you know this is my day job so you can see that i'm really struggling with the moderator <laughs> ollie feel free to pipe up whatever you want oh I'm no i'm enjoying this off, though I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying it. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah no sorry what, what is the opt-out system then what actually is it 
Okay. Um, so basically, the opt-out system, uh, it's, well, the law around organisation changed in England in May of 2020, um, and it moved to an opt-out system uh, from a previously, it used to be an opt-in system where people would register their decision to donate. Um, now, um, we've, we have a system where unless you have recorded a donation decision or you're in an excluded group, um, it's now considered that you agree to donate your organs when you die. Um, the key thing to say, though, is that organ donation is still a personal choice for people. Um, you can still register a decision to donate and you can still register a decision not to donate. Um, so it's really, really important that people record their decision on the NHS organ donor register, uh, which they can do either on our website or they can do it on the phone. Um, and as we were saying with the Leave Them Certain campaign, it's it's really important as well to share your decision with loved ones because families will always be involved um, with organ donation because ultimately it's the family that supports the donation going ahead. Mm, um, definitely. So, I think the, yeah. the, the advert that I've seen, um, I, I, I think maybe it was on YouTube or something like that, maybe. I can't remember now. But it was um, really poignant. It was really like a, a really well put together um, kind of snippet of what someone in that experience, obviously speaking personally, I've been lucky enough to have kidney transplants from immediate family members and they're both doing well post-transplant and I'm doing well post-transplant, but that's not always the case. So there are very awkward conversations that need to take place sometimes. And I think so, yeah, no, it's really, it's really, really nice. Um, yeah. Talk to us about cornea transplantation because I think we did have a chat. We did have a chat and we've just about managed to uh, learn how to say the word, but um, we did have a chat. And the thing is, when we think about, um, I'm speaking personally now, when I think about, and this is based on what we learned at school and just my life in general, when it comes to organ donation, I always think about, you know, lungs, liver, kidney, heart. Don't ever think about um, cornea transplantation. And I thought when we had our chat briefly earlier on, it was really interesting. So yeah, could you tell us a little bit um, and to anyone listening, you know, enlighten them on this whole side of things. Okay, yeah, no problem. So corneas are tissue um, and there's various types of tissue in your body that you can donate. Um, there's corneas, there's heart valves, um, which people will be familiar with. Um, there's bones, tendons, arteries, skin. So there's, there's lots of different tissue around the body that can also be useful um, for pe other people to receive if they, if they particularly need it. Um, with regard to corneas, um, we have a particular need to collect more corneas um, and also we have a particular need to collect more heart valves as well um, because we just don't have enough to meet demand at the moment across the country. Um, so corneas are basically a little piece of tissue at the front of the eye um, that lets light into your eyes so it enables you to, to see. Um, and sometimes people might have uh, diseased, injured or scarred corneas which therefore affects their vision some people say the, the vision is really cloudy or it's distorted and wow. um, some people might lose sight completely um, in, in one eye or potentially both um, but cornea donations um, therefore cornea transplants um, can restore people's sight so it can en enable people to see again that's, um, that's incredible which is amazing that's, isn't it yeah yeah, yeah that's actually yeah. amazing um yeah, yeah. i didn't realize it exists Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> well, with, within that, if people can see it again, they can then return yeah. to living independently. They can yeah. return to living confidently. You know, it opens up a, a whole world to them that was previously 
clients because they couldn't they'd lost their vision you know so so again the key thing with cornea donation um is we really need people to if they do want to donate the corneas um it's really important to share that decision Hmm. with your family and the reason we say that is because corneas are actually the, the body part that people are least likely to donate in the sense that when people register their decision uh, as, a, as a donor, you can choose which organs and, and tissue you're happy to donate. And yeah, people are more resistant to donating the corneas because um, there's a there's a lot of um, like sentiment around people's eyes, isn't there? You know, people. Yeah. It's a it's a it's a feature of people that you know that people really love in their loved ones. Um, you know, so the, maybe the color of their eyes, etc. Um, so some people find it very difficult to agree to coordinate your donation. Um, yeah. And equally, as, as a potential donor, sometimes people think, oh, I'm happy to donate a bit of the body that I've never seen, like the pancreas or something. But mm-hmm. when it's your eyes, some people feel very it. personal about yeah. their eyes, don't they? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so it's, it is a, it's a tricky one sometimes for people to donate, um, you know, to, to reach the point where they're happy to say yes, you know, they'd like to do that. Um, but yeah, the difference it can make to people who then receive cornea transplants is absolutely huge. Yeah. Um, you know, you'd like to say you're talking about somebody who's not been able to see suddenly then being able to see again. Um, so, so yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a tissue that we particularly need to collect more of in order to help more people that are waiting for those life-changing moments, really. Yeah, no, definitely. I think it's, I think you, you basically hit the nail on the head with the whole idea of when we see it kind of, you know, it's, you think, but my eyes, it's such a big part of me, like in terms of if you've got you know yeah whereas with our organs inside we don't really see them so you, you you're not really as concerned yeah. so yeah i think it it's, it's interesting kind of who which kind of groups or which yeah who decides to you know where do you draw the line i guess why yeah. is a kidney okay but not a cornea a piece yeah. of cornea tissue okay um uh, or, well, yeah sorry go ahead so, sorry, Ruben. <laughs> um, there's an interesting difference as well in uh, between organ and tissue donation in that um, with organ donation, you have to die in a hospital in specific circumstances. Um, and the vast majority of people won't die in, in those ways. Um, so actually, even though, you know, a lot of people may want to be an organ donor, the chances are they probably won't be um, because of the right. way that they die. Um, so... So that's why each donation is really, really precious, um, because, and it's then that's why it's really important to share your decision. Because yeah. if you haven't shared your decision, if your family don't know what to agree to on your behalf, then generally people default to not agreeing to the donation, and therefore, you know, an opportunity yeah. to for somebody else has, has been missed, really, in a sense. Um, but with tissue donation, um, that doesn't have to, tissue donation doesn't necessarily have to take place within a hospital it can also take place in uh, hospices it can take place in funeral homes as well wow um, so it, and not as invasive or, maybe as like yeah. a, having an organ mm. transplant as well I say again organ transplant I'm so used to equating organ transplants <laughs> it's just me I've, I've just done a boo-boo again haven't I um doing like <laughs> it's not as invasive <laughs> as having to you know get someone to come into hospital have that kidney transplant and you know time off so would it be, I mean, I, I don't know, is it something you were saying, so it's, it can take place in a hospice or... Um... Um, corneas can take place in those locations. Uh, and also yeah. corneas can be donated up to 24 hours after death as well, whereas organ, That's... organs, Did... are, there's a shorter time frame to work with. Where... Yeah, which is, again, like, yeah, like pretty remarkable given that um, I don't have, I don't know, but yeah, the time frame is very different for um, 
I was going to say organs again, but you know, kidneys, hearts, livers, lungs, all of that stuff. And they, the times vary, obviously. Um, yeah. Moving on. I'm going to mention the, uh, just looking at my notes here, and this is a very bad joke. I'm going to mention the black and ethnic minority elephant in the room. Um, even though I hurt, uh, even though I hate the term BAME and whatever, it's, I guess, for, for just ease of, you know, um, you mentioned briefly in terms of like particular projects and kind of um, things that were taking place. That sounded really promising, actually. And I'd really like to um, for you to speak about that in terms of what's being done, because I think there is, um, you know, uh, a real absence of black and ethnic minority donors or donations available. Like me, for instance, um, having two kidney transplants, both immediate family members they had to make these sacrifices and, you know, they had to stall their life and, you know, all of that stuff um, to make sure that I am living a better life and having a fantastic podcast with Ollie, you know? So <laughs> it's, it's kind of like, and obviously, you know, a moment does a day doesn't go by where I think about those sacrifices, but why would you say you're from the research you've done, or maybe even obviously projects that are promoting more people from different faith or different backgrounds coming forward to, um, you know, yeah, to, um donate organs basically okay so um there's many different reasons i think why uh why there's there's less donors from black asian and minority ethnic backgrounds uh, it can be linked to people's thoughts around their faith it can be linked to cultural reasons within different communities right. which can vary by by uh, everyone's different background so it's um yeah it's, it's, it's quite a complex um different situation really um uh, so yeah we, we particularly need more donors from black asian minority eth ethnic backgrounds because because of the eth eth no because of the <laughs> i'll start that again we particularly, right, <laughs> we particularly need more donors from black asian and minority ethnic backgrounds because people from the same ethnic background are more likely to be a match for someone in, the, in that same background that's with, right yeah with a transplant yeah so right. um and also people are more likely to die waiting for a transplant yeah. um, so thinking about kidney transplants in particular um generally people from a black asian and minority ethnic background are having to wait on average about six months longer for a kidney transplant than someone from a white background and um, so we really need to create much better equality there um to do so it's it comes into um probably a big piece around education um, and raising awareness and yeah. Um, and really trying to understand all the different issues and stigmas and myths and things like that that people people will raise. Um, so uh, something that we've done in recent years since 2018 actually is uh, a project called a community investment scheme, which is basically funding that community faith and belief organisations can apply for in order to boost awareness and understanding of, of organ donation and also blood donation as well. Um, right within their local community. So um, the whole idea is to try and inspire like behavioral change really so that people just get a better understanding really of, of the subject. Um, and hopefully it will then uh, demystify it as well and, and just really build greater awareness so that people can make a better informed choice because one yeah, of the problems is just going back to the, yeah. No, sorry. sorry. As soon as you said informed, sorry to cut you off, Neil. Like, thanks. Yeah. And this is really kind of enlightening stuff because I think it does come out to come down to education and even um, misinformation, like in the sense yeah, that yeah. I know that 
mum, bless her, she's getting messages on WhatsApp about what to do to save like like you know save yourself from coronavirus eat food at higher temperatures and squeeze a bit of lemon into this and do that and she's <laughs> thankfully she's got a few more brain cells i'd like to think that to actually pay attention but you've got someone it's like you know following it, it, misinformation is rife i think especially i'm only speaking for my community the you know the sri lankan tamil community and aunties on whatsapp as we uh, love to know them and they love circulating this information that just doesn't you know that doesn't really make any sense and the thing is they're you know they prize possession their eldest son daughter are doctors they're working they're in they're in the midst of all of this stuff and still they come home and mum's like, oh, yeah, but I heard that if you eat like four bananas a day, you'll be completely fine. Like you actually are completely <laughs> immune to the coronavirus. I wish. And, and I wish like, you know, but it's it's I mean, I'm saying it in a lighthearted tone, but I think it's so important. I think like this kind of community investment scheme, it, it sounds really important to start at an education level and raise that awareness. Um, again, I can only speak for myself and my community like because of I've you know born with renal failure and things like that my family have learned but I don't know that the situation would be different if they weren't privy to all this information and having this lived in experience so if it's something that's not that they're not directly involved in then I'm sure it would be easy to ignore you know like what goes on in this world in this kind of organ donation world and why it's important to come forward and why it's important to learn more about helping each other in such a way but yeah and no, that's really yeah, I think, sorry, I just picked up on that point of misinformation because even the other day, mum was downstairs and telling me this stuff and I was literally just like, okay, I love you, so I'm just going to keep quiet. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, it's interesting, actually, because thinking back to when the law changed, there was there was lots of messages doing the rounds, particularly on WhatsApp, but elsewhere yeah. as well, um, especially in the Black, Asian and minority ethnic communities, uh, basically saying it's just it was just false information. It was saying the deadline um, to opt out of organization is is tomorrow and things. And it was kind of just really spreading false information. Um, and yeah. it led to a big, big spike um, in in people opting out. Hmm. Um, and if people don't want to donate, then that's it's great that they make a decision to record that decision. Um, but we only all know it's the, not though, Neil. We all know it's yeah. not. But yeah, they're entitled to everything. No, but no, I mean, no, I'm, I mean, joking. I'm joking. Obviously, you're uh, you're allowed to be wrong. Sorry, you're allowed your opinion. That's <laughs> no, I'm just playing. Um, In all seriousness, though, yeah, no, you're allowed your your own opinion. It's just a shame though, because obviously you've done so much work. You know, everyone coming together to promote, you know, this opt out scheme and things like that, and then something as um, like a viral text, everything, and then yeah. just all that hard work maybe not completely undone but you know it just goes a long way in terms of you know how is what is the situation with that now in terms of could you give us any more up-to-date since the um max and kira since the uh, opt-out scheme since the laws changed has it kind of plateaued a little bit or uh yeah i think so because like i say we had we had particular spikes of people opting out um which is caused by by misinformation and and if the the thing is if people are making a an ill-informed decision um then that's that's what we need to counter really mm. with with correct information and and that's why we're working with um the different community groups really to try and get correct information out to people so that they can make a better informed choice and if yeah. if they still want to opt out then they still want to opt out fair enough but um it's that the key thing is we want them to make that you know informed choice and what we saw last summer when the law was uh, when, when we're building up to the time when the law was going to change, it, the people were opting out based on 
misinformation um, and you know false information as well. So um, that's that's disappointing because then if if people are waiting on transplant waiting lists, you know the, the more people that opt out, the the less um, people are available for for transplant. You know to to give donations as well. You see, so um, yeah, and if if that's all based on false information and that's a really important thing that we need to try and counter um so yeah because i think just doing from some doing some light reading light reading i don't know if that was the right term to use there but i think in the netherlands is it the netherlands since um the opt-out scheme had been introduced um and they've been you know i should really be a little bit more prepared sorry but <laughs> since it's been introduced in the but that's what you guys are here for so i won't feel too bad but um <laughs> It's, I think since it had been introduced in the Netherlands, the the uptake, well, the the transplants that were taking place, had gone. You know, it, it had really increased. Hmm. And sorry, guys listening, you just have to take my word for it. I saw a graph. <laughs> These are facts, um, and I don't want to, you know, do any googling whilst I'm having this wonderful chat. But yeah, no, it's like I guess what I'm trying to say is it works. It actually hmm. works, and not just that, but I think it it just encourages having this conversation. The fact that, you know, the government and the powers that be have got involved in, you know, promoting this whole conversation, however you feel about it, whether you, you know, you, you, you want to give up the kind of organs or not. Um, the fact that the conversation is taking place, I feel like that is the most powerful thing. Um, yeah. It's kind of like, almost like a, you know, there's no such thing as bad publicity kind of way of thinking. Um, so I guess it's, you know, if I were to take a positive from those who I feel like who are having this misinformation or whatever, at least conversations are being taken, you know, are taking place, I guess. Yeah. And that's, that's the main hope for it, that we really hope that it, that the law change sees more people agreeing to welcome donation and therefore saving more lives. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think it's, um, it's probably too early to say, um, because the law only changed in, in May, it's, you know, it's not been a full year yet. Um, yeah. it's, it's still quite early days as such in terms of analysing statistics that indicate whether there's been a big shift in, in donation rates or not, especially because also, of course, we're living through a pandemic where everything's different <laughs> at the moment. Um, yeah. But we do know anecdotally, we do know of people that have um, agreed to donation on behalf of loved ones because of conversations that have happened since the law wow. changed um, and the conversations that were inspired because of the law change. Yeah. Um, so we yeah. do know that yeah those those decisions and those conversations etc are happening in in houses uh, around the country and yeah like you say the more that that happens the, the better really yeah. because that's the key thing just people making their decision clear to their loved ones definitely um, leave, is, is leave them important. certain you would yeah. say wouldn't you? That it, yeah certain. That, yeah <laughs> but absolutely. yeah no, i really do like that tagline not to dismiss it with just a word tagline but i do like it i think it just sums up the whole campaign whoever came up with that deserves um lots of kudos i think <laughs> so yeah and no, i think it's great but yeah like no thank you neil thank you very much i think obviously like um yeah that was great in terms of listening to all the projects and things that were available and obviously hearing about corneas <laughs> katie let's move on to your story because it's a little bit different to neil's in the sense that obviously neil again not to not to make you feel bad I keep mentioning it but like you know you kind of fell into it so you know it's it's kind of like there was no um you know you were a cold-hearted man you know just <laughs> giving stones and like getting into fights and then suddenly 
blood donation came in and you were like you know what maybe i'll do i'll make a change i'll start being a good person for once that's you know with your leather jacket i can imagine you riding off into the sunset and then you made that change which is great am i wrong am i wrong neil i don't know that's how i've quite quite wrong yeah never worn a leather jacket oh, okay never had a fight <laughs> thank you for checking me as a but yeah but katie your story is somewhat different and i won't give an embarrassing intro to you um Talk to yeah, us. No, no, no leather jackets in my story either. Um, nice. I'd say, but then, then, yeah, I, I, I was quite determined to work in this field. In fact, this is deliberately when I picked my, you know, from from deciding the, the track I was going to go, you know, at, at at university in terms of schooling through, you know, as soon as I um, got out of university, there was only one field I wanted to work in, and that was organ donation, and and specifically marketing and communications and promoting the education and awareness of organ donation. Um, yeah, so it's been a very direct and um, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been my path very deliberately. And that is because of my own personal experience. Uh, organ donation, organ and tissue donation is literally my life. Um, yeah. So I was, I was born with several congenital heart defects. And that's sort of how kind of my story began and how I got thrown into the, the whole world of donation and transplantation. So um, congenital heart defects are actually a really frequent birth defect, but they vary in severity. And for, for me, it was um, quite scary when I was born and my parents were uh, kind of told pretty much straight away once I was diagnosed that there was, there was a lot wrong with my heart. There were valves in the wrong place there were holes in my heart there were it was just if you think of it as plumbing the plumbing was really messed up and not doing what it needed to do and my parents were told that that you know the doctors just really weren't sure what my um chances were and got me to a hospital where there was a, a specialist cardiology team so i, I had a, a amazing care and uh, and really looked after especially the, the first 10 days of my life i was in the NICU. I was uh, very, very sick and fragile and small. My parents weren't allowed to hold me the first 10 days of my life because it was, I was just too fragile. And when they held me on day 10, it was because I was heading into the first of my surgeries and the doctors thought, well, this might be their only chance. So we'll, we'll let them hold her, um, obviously. And this is a spoiler alert. It wasn't their only chance to hold me. Um, but I did have a minor surgery at 10 days old and another um, minor um, heart surgery at uh, 10 months old. So I had some little operations uh, and that was just to help me grow strong, just to, again, I, I suppose it's those short fixes for that plumbing of what was wrong with my heart so that I could grow big and strong and, and, and get to a point where they could do major corrective surgery. So I... Um, that that was all successful that got me through the first several years uh up till i was four years old when they determined i was old enough and strong enough to uh, undergo open heart surgery so i had a heart reconstruction operation at four years old and a, a, a brilliant surgeon essentially replumbed and, and sort of kind of built walls where there were holes in in my chambers and of my heart and um really did did an incredible job reconstructing my heart uh, but there was something that we couldn't do that without and, and, and I, I didn't have a functioning pulmonary artery so during that immense operation I received the incredible gift of a tissue transplant of a donor heart valve 
and that's that piece of the puzzle, that piece of the plumbing, as you were, that that's gifts of a tissue transplant. That donation helped make that operation successful. Mm -hmm. And without without that transplant, I, you know, I mean, I don't know what would have happened, but it was. Uh, it, it was the, the piece of the puzzle that was needed. And ever since that operation, I've been doing very, very well. So it, it was the gift of a tissue transplant as part of that surgery that uh, connected me to this world of donation and transplantation, even though I didn't know it at the time. So I'm very, I'm, I'm just immensely grateful to be in this world because it is, I completely second what, what Neil says. It's a fascinating field to work in anyways I like to I, I'd like to think and I would have hoped that I would have found my way to this field anyways because it's just so amazing um, but I did uh, I did kind of uh, find my way into the field of organ donation initially as a volunteer as just a, a public speaker sharing my story as a tissue recipient the heart valve recipient about how um, how much that gift means to to me meant to me growing up and and even now so that's how I sort of I didn't really stumble into, was born into, yeah. I guess, but, but it did take me a while to realize the gift I'd received, to be obviously old enough and kind of compute what had happened yeah. and what gift I'd received. So it, it was a while before I started public speaking. And it's interesting. It's definitely interesting because, like, I think you have kind of obviously kind of opposite extremes with those with health problems. Either they kind of, and this is something that I'm guilty of at the beginning, it, it's taken and it's only through having these kind of therapeutic chats with Ollie and I've mentioned this time and time again one thing I've always admired about Ollie is he's very quick to mention his situation and it's so comfortable with that and that's something that I'm not as comfortable so for me to have problems with my kidney and then work in this field is so alien to me I wouldn't I wouldn't want to because I think it would just trigger me in such a way where I don't think I would be at peace you know I, I wouldn't be at peace yeah but but I you're think, weird isn't you know it? this podcast is <laughs> yeah i'm weird i'm one of the weird ones i actually don't want to think about these things but Be i think proud it's, of it. it's really nice that you've not only <laughs> it's only it's not nice it's only nice that it's not only nice that you speak about it but then now you do that as your career i think that's just such a wonderful thing because it's something that clearly you're you're both very passionate about and i think that's like that's what you need you know really and truly you know it's that cheesy cliched you know if you if you enjoy what you love working wise then it doesn't feel like work right so it's yeah it's really it's really really nice um yeah have you have you like encountered any because obviously you 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 were born in the u.s and you've kind of experienced both sides of um organ donation could you like let us know some of the differences because i i have no idea how things work in the u.s really um yeah it'd be nice to hear some of that yeah, it's been, you know, it's, it, it's, it's so strange, because I, I was reflecting on this the other day, and it, it's been such a long journey, I suppose, it, it, it's strange to look back and, and think about um, my work in the States, and like, oh, how is it different, because I know it, I was learning a lot when I first joined NHS Blood and Transplants, I was, I, I had to translate I suppose a lot of okay how it happens in the states versus how it happens here. I mean, ultimately, I think organ donation. One of the things that's so amazing is that it's so universal at its core, which is this incredible altruistic gift that one person decides to give to another. It's it's, it's completely selfless. The family obviously also showing great 
selflessness and thinking of others in, in their time of grief. So it's an amazing field. Um, I think there are definitely differences um, from, you know, when I was just reflecting back when I was working in the state, there's, there's, there's obviously the, the, the big difference is that the healthcare system is different. So we've got the national um, health service here, whereas yeah. in the States, it works a bit differently. So um, the, the organizations are a bit more separate, but still work incredibly collaboratively. And uh, so, and, and it's, it's such a massive um, territory as well that there's 58 organizations in the States that facilitate organ donation and transplantation. Wow. So there's, they're called organ procurement organizations, which isn't the, the I don't think the best name, but they're, but they're called OPOs, organ procurement organizations. There's 58 of them. So they each have a different kind of um, jurisdiction in different states. And they're essentially the bridge between the hospital where someone has passed away. So the donor's hospital, whatever that ITU unit is, and between that hospital and the transplant center where the patients are are on the list and are waiting. So the OPO in the States is, is the bridge between the two, but also responsible for the public education uh, side of, of, um, of donation, that, that communication. I think there is a difference in how we promote organ donation yeah. in the States, um, comparing. We're a lot louder in the States. I should probably qualify this, but I, I, I worked in Texas where we're especially loud. I was gonna say, I think, I didn't know when, I didn't know when to interrupt you. Um, but just to say this is coming from a place of like, yeah, your reference point is, you know, factual, unlike mine earlier on with my comment about the Netherlands. Um, you know what you're talking about. You know what you're talking about. You've worked there and you've worked here. Um, when you say loud, what do you mean in terms of so, <laughs> I'm interested to know? One of our big campaigns out of Texas, we had a partnership with Live Nation, which hosts concerts across the yeah. country yeah and uh, so there was this big venue um where we were in dallas where they would have all sorts of concerts and they would have you know r d they would have country obviously lots of country artists all different artists so so as a partner amazing to pick which concerts you wanted to sponsor and so basically we would set up stands information stands at these concerts and depending on which concert is you get a totally different crowd so we're trying to target different audiences, right? Talk to them about okay, audiences. True. And um, we would just pretty much have to be, I mean, we would just wear our our our, our kind of branded t-shirts, but we would wear very loud clothing and we would, you, but you approach people just, I think a little bit differently. You don't necessarily wait for them to come to you. It's, you know, it's a kind of chill concert venue. We would have, um, because everyone would be walking around with their like cans of beer, right? So we would have the koozies that you can koozies that you kind of to keep your beer beer cool. We'd have those as giveaways, and people would just sounds so like as in where? Why did we not go to the states, Ollie? I this don't sounds know, so fun. Like, yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I do love the um, the walks that we have here, and I do love the uh, you know the the quizzes and the karaoke nights and things. It's it's all it's all fun, but a Live Nation sponsored event sounds a little bit. <laughs> Is it was just a little bit, I don't, a little bit bonkers thinking about it now. Our, our campaign, I mean, you can compare. I, I think it's, it's, it, but it, it fits with the culture in that. Yes. I think that it's just from when I'm back in the. I mean, I had to learn when I moved to this country, and I learned. I adapted very quickly, and I love it here. But I did have to learn to, you know, you talk a little bit quieter if you're talking to someone on the bus or on the queue. You don't break up a conversation <laughs> yeah. with someone on the tube. Oh, I've read that book. What do you think about that book? Or is it like you, you don't talk <laughs> yeah. to in London? But, you know, and now, 
and now we're indoors complaining about how we don't sorry sorry Katie I was just saying and now we're all indoors complaining about how we don't have these passive aggressive moments on the tube and the trades and whatever um sorry to cut you off you were saying cultural differences right and so that that plays into right. it as well but I think that just as we we, we campaigned uh, I think a little bit differently and that just being an example you know we had um uh, just a bit of a different uh, approach I think but what I really love about um the the NHS and especially really I'm, I'm honestly really really proud of the campaign we're running right now the leaves in certain campaign because you do have to ground organ donation and transplantation every once in a while, right? I think that um, it can be, especially for those of us who are really passionate about it, it can be a bit easier to talk about or to assume like, of course, why would anyone not want to donate or what, you know, but it's it bringing it back to is someone who hasn't been touched by organ donation and transplantation uh, on one side or the other doesn't, isn't necessarily going to understand what it means or how, how it impacts on you when you're when you're sick and the only thing that can help you, the only treatment option available involves someone else making a decision that will save your life. Like there's not really much to compare that to. And, and so I think those of us who are passionate about it, we are so passionate, but but we've got to ground it in, you know, these, it's, it can be a difficult conversation for some people to have. We obviously want people to, to think about their donation decision and make an informed decision, not a decision based on the misinformation and the WhatsApp messages, but 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 factual information and, and think about it. But but we want to just sprinkle in a little bit of inspiration and yeah. and hopes of motivating people to say this is what it's all about. It's about you know the legacy that a loved one leaves when they great yeah really well put legacy like especially you know with the images of the father smiling and dancing and being mm -hmm. clearly quite jovial and um yeah it is legacy isn't it it's leaving that legacy which is i guess what we all want when it you know without getting too existential and how incredible that uh, you know to think that i i used to describe this is my early days of talking about organ donation i used to say because obviously not only am i i'm a recipient but i've made the decision my family knows you know i if anything were to happen to me i would want to donate you know organs tissues donate to research do whatever something can help someone else absolutely and I used to say to people, I've already decided what my last act is going to be on earth. If I'm in a situation to donate, absolutely that's what I would want to, to have happen. So it's, you know, it's amazing that we have that opportunity to leave that legacy on. And, and I can speak not only from the recipient side, but also actually from the donor family perspective, because yeah. I have been um, sadly in the situation where we've lost an incredible member of our family and uh, he has, uh, in, in the States, as I'm sure you can sign up to the, um, the driver, when you get your driver's license, and he had said he wanted to be a donor, and, and you know, um, that decision was supported. So he went on to save so many people. And while we as a family are still very much wrestling with that grief and that mourning and just missing him so much, yeah. when the anniversary of his death came around this year and I didn't know what to do with myself and you kind of feel that grief kind of closing in because I'm in this world I stopped myself and said but but yeah there's a couple people on this planet relief, like... are 
celebrate are, are having transplant anniversaries. And I know how fun a transplant anniversary it is because it's, it, these are incredible milestones, you know? So just to stop and go, this hurts. And it, it's, it's awful that he's gone. And that, that little bit of comfort for me is, but I know that, that there's multiple families out there who are thinking of us, who are thinking of their donor and their donor family, which in this mm -hmm. case is us. And, and are thinking of us during this time as well. And also I know that those families are hopefully getting ready for a, a, a lockdown transplant anniversary celebration and celebrating yeah. <laughs> yet another milestone of extra life that they got because, uh, because of my cousin. So, you know, it's, I've seen it from both sides and it's, um, yeah. it's just incredible. And I think it is, you know, it's not always an easy topic to, to, to talk about, but it's, it's not just the incredible life that that the the recipients get as a recipient, you also yeah. are given back to your family. You're given back to your community because you're there. But 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 for the donor, from the donor perspective, there's a legacy. There's in this kind of um, dark room that can that grief and mourning can feel like there's there's a pinprick of life or a window of life. But there is something that yeah. that came out of the tragedy. So yeah, it's a powerful. It's a powerful subject matter and like kind of well no just definitely want, just want everyone to consider it just have a proper think about it and make your decision yeah i think yeah just i think yeah it's um sorry i'm still quite taken aback from your like personal story in the sense that it's very difficult when you go through it's so easy to be selfish when you're mourning when you're grieving it's so easy to be selfish so to an extent i do understand when people are like well no i don't really want to think about where this body will go and what will happen to it and this that and the other because you you know you might be you know we all grieve differently i guess but mm. because i'm in this world because we're in this world we we understand just how much good and it's not like one person equals one person it's a case of one person can save seven people Two. if i'm not mistaken is it three seven? six or seven Oh, are you doing the math? Are you counting? I'm, I'm trying to count. Kidney, kidney, lung, lung. We know the answer. Neil and I are sitting here going, we know the answer. Oh, I'm going to feel like a right mug Hope, when I come out with like seven or something. <laughs> Ollie, what are you going with? I'm going with, I'm going with seven. What are you going with? Oh, one, two, three, four, five, six, six, like, yeah, seven or eight. And then watches it's like 25, something yeah, brilliant I, like I, that. I have a feeling it's going to be like, <laughs> It'd be really bad if the answer is like one or two, and I've my point is completely <laughs> gone. Give no, us, give us the answer. Well made. Your point is well made. Yes. So, I mean, obviously, it's not always an ideal um, situation, but in, in, in kind of, of what you might call an ideal, the, the per a perfect donation situation, one donor can save nine lives through organ donation. Right. But then we've talked about tissue, right? And I'm a tissue recipient, a heart valve recipient. So thankfully, I didn't need a whole heart transplant. That would have been a whole other Delio, but um, but heart valve. We talked about cornea. We talked about and and so through tissue and cornea, uh, there's so many more opportunities to save lives. I'm, I think I've asked you this before, Neil. But what what do we average? We say on average a tissue donor yeah. saved. Um, and it, 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 again, in a sort of a perfect scenario, I think it could be around about fifty people's oh, lives yeah, that could be affected just, that by a so, tissue donor. Yeah, it's yeah. so good. <laughs> That's so good. It's amazing, isn't it? That yeah, is it's amazing. amazing. Oh, As in, so uh, yeah. I mean, uh, before it, it, that would be it, fifty people. It depends on on. Um, 
Yeah. Uh, no, so it would be from one, one donor, um, you'd, you'd, get, you'd perhaps get the two corneas, then within the eyes as well, there's a, there's a part called the sclera, um, which is that is basically the whites of the eye. Yes. Um, so they can also be used as well to help people. Um, so that kind of increases the number of, oh. of potential recipients. And then if you include all the things like, like heart valves, if, you, if each heart valve was taken and if each artery around the body was taken, if each tendon was taken, et cetera, it just builds and builds to uh, around about 50, I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Of, you know, that's restoring someone's mobility or skin grafts that can mm. actually save the life of burn victims. I mean, each tissue donation, um, it, there's a lot of differences between organ donation and tissue donation, but it's all about saving and improving lives. It's all about yeah. quality of life and, and, and maybe mobility or independence back to someone. Beautiful. No, definitely. I think, it's amazing. Sorry, there was a bit it keeps of, blowing my mind. <laughs> sorry, mate, you were saying? I'm saying it's beautiful. It keeps blowing my mind, even though I know some of the facts and obviously we lived that life. I've been living it for 25 years when I still find out, oh, yeah, it affects and helps 50 people in a perfect scenario, um, which obviously isn't always the case, unfortunately, but it still kind of blows my mind. And then I start thinking about Rubes, all the people we know personally through yeah. living it and how exactly. you know, like heart transplant mates and liver and lung, double lung, all that kind yeah. of stuff. And oh, it's emotional. It was it was it was so good. My internet connection became unstable. That's how good yeah. the news was. <laughs> Pick up there. Um, I don't know if that if you could hear that before there was a bit of a me and Neil just talking over each other. No, getting getting my point across or whatever. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, but yeah, Katie, not to we're all having um, a big smile and a big talk about all the good things. Let's keep the good news going, I guess. Tell us a little bit about your, um, that was such a terrible transition. <laughs> such, that really was not a seamless link. Um, <laughs> sorry, let me just take a moment to come back. So uh, we might have to edit that bit out. Sorry, Ollie. Nope, keeping um, it in. <laughs> no, keeping it in. Fantastic. Um, Katie, tell us a bit more about your, like your personal story. Because I know a few people who are kind of, who feel like one of the many challenges of going through this whole um, organ donation, transplantation, being mm. a recipient, is getting in touch with the donor's family. Mm. And if you could speak a little bit about that and your experiences in this kind of area. Yeah, absolutely. It's something actually I've been reflecting on a lot lately because Neil and I are actually both working on a, a project. I think we're going to be just sort of taking a look at, as NHSBT, what information we have available to help both recipients and donor families who are thinking about this whole question of correspondence and do we, don't we, and, and when's the right time and what do you say? I mean, it's it's very complicated. It's a lot for someone to be processing. Um, and it was a lot for me to process. I've gone through that journey and it was, it was a, I'm not gonna lie, it was a really difficult journey. There were some really hard moments and there were some really, um, really beautiful moments as well. So uh, as I mentioned, I was a pediatric um, patient essentially. So. I uh, received my uh, gift of donor heart valve uh, when I was four. And I only really became aware of, like all my life I knew I was a heart patient because I was all constantly, you know, every year going into the cardiologist for a checkup. Of and, course, yeah. And um, with, with tissue transplantation, thankfully there is not a concern about rejection. 
So I'm very fortunate that I have not been on anti-rejection medicines, for example. So it's a bit of a different post-transplant journey. The focus was on my, my heart. So I didn't even really realize that I received a transplant until I was a teenager and kind of was old enough to oh, wow. kind of hear the story. I would get bits from my parents, but like actually hear my parents tell the story in full and then start to have conversations. I, I didn't fully connect the dots. It was it was actually it was a, a speech and debate coach debate coach at my high school who found out about my story from my mom and came to me and said you should do a talk on organ donation, and uh, and that's when I researched and kind of realized what I'd received. So it was several years after that even I think I was at university when I first learned that um, transplant recipients can you know potentially write to um sometimes in some instances even meet um their donor family i think i saw it was on the news or something of a donor family recipient meeting and i was just a puddle of tears when i saw that for the first time i couldn't even think about that moment or what that might be like without completely breaking down in into tears yeah. just the overwhelming emotion of it all um, so I, I was, like I said, in, in university when I first found out that that was a, even a possibility and then being tissue and, and, and having the, had the, the operation so long ago, I didn't quite know what, what that meant for me. Um, but I, I spent, I think it was a year or two kind of wrapping up university, starting my new job. I, I didn't think about it too much because it was so emotional. And, uh, then as I started to, uh, uh get into post, post uni life, you know, the real world, and start to settle into to who I was, who I wanted to be, and volunteer and continue speaking and sharing my story, I, I, I learned more about it and eventually got my the, the job I was referring to earlier in Texas, where I was um, also working in the field of donation there. And I, I just started to inquire, you know, how would, how would the, if I wanted to write to my donor family, how would that happen? Um, I started to reflect on that. My early concerns for me really was that I didn't want to hurt my donor family. Exactly, so yeah. I, I loved the idea of thanking them. I loved the idea of, I really wanted them to know that I was so grateful. And, uh, but at the same time, especially in my case, so much time had passed. I didn't, uh, I didn't want to open old wounds that I hoped were healing or had healed um, somewhat. And I didn't want, I didn't want to hurt them. So I sort of thought uh, it's probably not not going to happen. And through my work, actually, I, I I was also a volunteer coordinator there, and I met so many donor families who were our volunteers, and they talked about how much they loved the idea of, of hearing from their their recipients. Some had heard, some hadn't yet, and it being quite healing. So the the overall response I was getting is that actually there's a real scenario where um, donor families can take a lot of um, great positivity and healing from just knowing that the recipient is, is doing well or hearing from them, you know, get, getting a hello. Um, and apologies, that's an alarm going off that I should have silenced. That's all right. That's all right. I think we needed a break in the, uh, <laughs> in the emotional kind of the emotional tension. I mean, the, like, the reality is it's not, not every donor family feels that way. Some donor families, the grief or the trauma, exactly is um and what they've gone through is so much or for whatever circumstances there's absolutely situations where donor families are really so happy for the recipients like and and they're glad that their loved one has been able to donate but for whatever reason they um they, they just don't feel quite ready to or open to receiving kind of correspondence it, it's vastly different 
um, for, for everyone. But my personal journey, that was one of my big concerns. It was a very complicated journey just because of how much time had passed for me. It, it's, it's much more straightforward, um, I think, here in this country where transplant recipient because, again, NHSBT has, has a program to, um, to facilitate if someone does want to correspond. But I think one of the key, key aspects is that it's, it's anonymous. So if, if a recipient or a donor family decides to reach out to each other, and that is a personal yeah. decision, um, it goes through NHSBT initially, and there's no identifying information in any of the correspondence. So um, that anonymity is, is maintained, and it can be an opportunity to, um, to, to correspond in, in, in a relatively safe way. For me, my journey um, was to ultimately find my, my tissue processor, the organization that was, I talked earlier about that bridge, that sort of link between the donor and, and, and the recipient. Um, they had my records despite how many years had passed. Okay. They said, you know, you can, you can write a letter. Um, but I never had any information about my donor up until that point. My parents had never been told anything. I'd never been told anything. So that was the first time I learned that my donor was a child, that my donor was an eight-year-old boy who had passed away very suddenly. And that, had, that thought had never occurred to me, the, the idea. Which sounds so silly now, of course, I was a pediatric recipient and I'm tiny. I am like child size. Even now as an adult, I'm child size. You know, I mean, I, I, I'm, I, I'm this like petite five foot dork. So, <laughs> you know, I, it, it makes sense thinking about it now, but back then it had never occurred to me or my family that my donors are a child. So now all of a sudden I'm faced with the opportunity to write and realizing I would be writing to parents who lost a child. How do you do that? It, it was a lot of, a, a lot of, uh, it was a long journey. It was a lot, it was a lot of tears, obviously. It was a lot of emotions. It was a lot of wondering what to say, but um, there was a bit of a, a guide uh, that they provide to recipients and we have a similar guide. Just yeah. with some suggestions, you know, it's okay to say this, you know, maybe think of, you know, Tell them a bit about yourself. They they want to know about you. You know, it's um it's okay to say, I'm so sorry for your loss. It's okay to say thank you so much for what yeah. you've done. You know, um so so we do have some some guidance as well. And and I sat down and wrote from the heart, um, cried a lot. And when I sent my letter off, I was doing so with the intention of, I just wanted them to know I was out there thinking of them and their son, and that I was grateful, that I was so grateful to what they had done for me. And, and I just wanted them to know that. And so I wasn't expecting a response back. I was very content. And, and in fact, I didn't send that letter until I felt I was at a place emotionally, psychologically too, I suppose, where I was ready for that journey and where I would have been ready to hear back and I would have been ready not to. And that's when I sent that letter off. And yeah, I, I can't imagine the literally the whirlwind of emotions going on. Cause I would, it's, it's admirable that you said that, you know, like you, you're not expecting a response cause obviously you're sending this, but getting that closure is so kind of important as well. 
but obviously, uh, you know, sending this letter off and then the recipient will find out how it did turn out. But <laughs> it's they're completely entitled, entitled the, the the person who donated to just kind of ignore it because we don't want to bring back these feelings um, of, you know, of losing someone. But I just think it's, yeah, I, I think it would be a very like, you know, I'm I'm lucky enough to walk past um, the corridor and see my donor still alive and well you know um i don't know if that's a good thing or bad thing because it's a constant reminder of how much of a failure i am no i'm joking but yeah like, <laughs> it's just it's just a that was a bit deep no it's not like that at all my dad and my brother love me to bits um but it's just having that reminder is nice you know so um yeah i don't know where i'm going with this but katie you were saying yeah, yeah. I do think it's, it's, I really want to emphasize that the, the journey of, of kind of donor family recipient correspondence, it's really personal and vers versatile and everyone's situation is different. On the donor family side, like I've, like I've mentioned, some donor families are still going through just so much, they might not be open to correspondence at that time and some donor families might really, really want to and, and we at NHSBT, we, we, can, we can check that with the donor family before sending anything along and make sure you know that, that, it, you know, that it's something they're open to. But like, likewise on the recipient side, it, it is a difficult journey. Post-transplant, as, as you guys know, is, is a recovery yeah. and there's a lot for a transplant recipient to be adjusting to. There's a doctor's appointments, there's medications, there's new regimes, there's getting used to feeling good, I imagine would be, you know, that's, yeah. there's such a journey. Transplantation is a massive operation. So I think on the recipient side, there's such a journey that recipients are going through post-transplant and it's gonna be different for each recipient kind of at what point they might start to think about, um, you know, being being ready or wanting to, to correspond or send a, send a letter of thanks. It, um, you know, it, 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 it would be very, very different for different situations. I think one of the things I always say is, and having worked in this field, we know we're out there thinking of each other. Like we know that donor families are thinking of their recipients and, and recipients are thinking of their donor families, but that, that correspondence can be, it can be really rewarding, but I think it's, um, it's a personal journey for people to kind of know themselves. Like, like I said, I, I um, did a lot of reflecting and, and corresponded when I knew that I was, um, that I, was, I, was, I, was I was ready, I was at a point where um, I, was, I was ready no matter what, what happened. Um, and as you've alluded to, the, the journey did continue, the story did for me. Yeah, tell us, tell us what happened. So I, I was really surprised to get an email from, again, the tissue process, so the, the link between the two, as it were, um, an email one day saying, uh, we've got a letter back from your family. And I was, I couldn't believe we had friends over for dinner that evening. And I, I like had ch checked my phone as like at this like family meal, and I just went really quiet. And as soon as our company left, I was with my parents at the time. I just burst into tears, and my parents were like, "Oh my God, what is wrong? What has happened?" I couldn't believe that they'd written back. Um, and so that was receiving a letter back from them was incredible. Uh, because up to that point, all I knew about my donor was that my donor had been eight and a half years old when he tragically died, and that he was a little boy living in Texas. That's all I knew. So receiving that letter back was not only my first connection with his family, who they are amazing, um, but also the first bits of information I was receiving about someone I had been thinking about every single day, 
the most arguably the most important and influential person in my life someone who yeah. I, who is my angel my hero who saved me and this is the first bits of information i was going to be receiving so they very graciously sent me a leather bag and they sent some photos along as well that's amazing um, i'm really glad that i was actually alone when i opened the letter because it was really difficult um i just seeing my donor for the first time was the only word to describe it is um it was devastating it was so awful to meet him for the first time and lose him in the same moment and yeah. it made everything very real this is the person who's no longer here and because of the decision I, at that time, I, I said, you know, the decision his family made, I'm, I'm, I'm alive, you know, thanks to their decision. I do, I do clarify a lot, and I do believe organ donation doesn't happen when someone dies. It doesn't happen because someone dies. It happens because someone makes that choice and they make it known. Uh, and so I knew that I was there because of the, the decision that this family made and supported. And so, so seeing him and sort of meeting and finding out who that person was for the first time, at the same time, my journey of mourning and, and grieving for him really started uh, because I, and I just, I was absolutely devastated in those um, first couple of minutes reading the letter and looking at the photos. Um, and so it was really, really difficult. And again, I, I knew that I was kind of open to that moment when I had kind of sent my letter off. But um, but then it was also it was also amazing. I've got the the listeners won't be able to see, but I've got yeah. that one of those photos in the frame right here next to me at my work desk because this is who I've got his photo in the locket around my neck. Um, it's amazing to know who this little boy was, and yeah. he's just amazing. So my donor was an eight and a half year little boy. That's just such a that's just such a lovely such a lovely story really like it just kind of puts things in perspective for everyone i think listening um and just to tie it back into not to kind of um sensationalize over sensationalize not that i need to katie to be honest with you because it's such a wonderful story but it's that whole kind of having that conversation this is an eight and a half year old boy and if mm -hmm. he's taken time to even in passing mention you know um that he wants to do this thing mm -hmm. and that's something like eight and a half I don't even know what I was doing I was probably asking mum to buy me a football shirt you know I would you know I I wouldn't have pro I feel like it's very profound but also very innocent to have that conversation at such a young age which is what this whole thing is about really exactly what our campaign's about and why I think it's so brilliant because when I wrote my letter to my donor family I said I knew I was writing to his parents and I said thank you so much for the decision you made I said in your darkest moment, you thought of others and, mm. and I'm alive because of it. And his mom wrote back to me and said, we didn't make the decision, PJ did. So my donor, as a child, they, they saw something on the news, on the telly about a little girl who needed a kidney transplant. And they started talking about donation as a family. He had um, several sisters and the parents, a big family conversation with parents and all the kids about organ donation. And, and including living donation, the fact that you've got two kidneys, you only need one, you can donate a kidney. And that fascinated PJ. And so he, his mom thinks he was only five or six at the time. He came into the kitchen and said, 
mum, I want to donate a kidney because I only need one. If I only need one, I want to donate a kidney. <laughs> and it's just yeah, the most just lovely, similar. innocent thing for a child to say. But the point I like to make as I kind of tell the whole story now is that I'm not my life wasn't saved the day of my surgery my life wasn't saved the day pj died my life was saved when pj said that to his mom that mm -hmm. when he made his feelings about donation so clear even though he was a kid and his mom had to turn around and be like whoa okay you're five <laughs> you know right now you know when you're older when you get older if you want if you want to you can um, yeah. And so when he was in his accident, when nothing more could be done for him in hospital, the doctors had exhausted every possibility. When his family was asked about organ donation, they, they even said, they told him, you know, we knew exactly what our little boy wanted. And so they were able to support his decision. And that's exactly what the Leave Them Certain campaign is. And it just goes yeah. to show that this incredible, <clears throat> amazing little boy was yeah. able to that it's all about you know the fact that he said that is kind of innocent as it was that is the moment that my life was saved so we want these family conversations happening these micro conversations and uh, and and for obviously yes we hope people make informed decisions and and, and get some facts and have some reflection on what they want but it, it's that talking to your family so that they know and they hear it from you it's it's still really important to record the decision yeah. On the organ register, because then it's in black and white, right? It's it's there, it's accessible, everyone's on the same page. But those family conversations, that's I mean, that's what saved me, really. Yeah. And I think that's that's a really I think that's a really great place to end, to be honest with you. Yeah. I do want to ask just to um just to kind of add on from you know your like really great chats that we've had today like um what can what can we do other than having a podcast irregular irregular uploads and <laughs> fancy graphics but other than having a podcast and speaking about our story what what can we do you know how can obviously you know get more education on the subject and things like that but what, what can we really do to make changes do we need a viral moment do we need like something to turn you know what do you guys suggest I'd say don't underestimate the power of your own story uh, because you know people uh, you'd be surprised a lot of people obviously you guys have both had lots of experience with within the transplant kind of community as such and mm. um, but a lot of people out there haven't really no no yeah. knowledge of uh, about organ donation they might might know a little bit about it but they don't know very much um mm. people so you know sometimes people don't even know what particular organs do within the body um, yeah for example so um <laughs> So it's a it's a step then to actually consider donating it when you, you might not even know you got it, etc. Yeah. So um, so yeah. So I think yeah. The, just keep keep telling, keep sharing your story, keep talking about it, um, keeping yeah, keep engaging people in conversations around organ donation because um, it, yeah, it will. It's like a ripple effect. Basically, the more people mm. hear stories about it, you know, the the more um, awareness is built up and and then yeah more conversations occur because of that yeah i think it's it's just keep the conversation going then mm -hmm. i guess yeah. is it for anyone who wants an answer that's the answer <laughs> keep talking about it <laughs> not 
exactly why we have the ambassador program. Yeah. And, and, and we, we share stories so frequently in our marketing is because that's what inspires people. And that's what sometimes people can relate to or put themselves in, in those shoes. Um, that's what sort of can inspire and motivate those, those conversations. And, and to answer your question about a viral moment, I don't think, I mean, viral moments are actually very, very hard to, um make happen manufacture yeah manufacture. manufacture i don't know that we as lovely as that be i think we need not a massive viral moment but hundreds of micro moments just you know those listening to your podcast take this as the prompt as the opportunity to turn to your family member or your friend or your housemate or you know whoever you're mm. close with to say i just listened to this this really fun awesome podcast it's amazing and with all this so structured and organization and and by the way if anything happened to me i would definitely want um i would definitely want to donate that's yeah. you know and it's just starting that conversation so if we have you know many 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 households across this country just stopping over their cup of tea and uh you know or, or stopping around the telly in the evening or at dinner and just having a, a little conversation about organ donation yeah as i've always already shown that one conversation which isn't a big viral moment it's a teeny tiny lovely little moment can save lives yeah i was a bit reluctant to use the word viral given the current situation but i thought <laughs> i thought it <laughs> You understood the context of it. So, yeah, yes. I mean, viral in a digital way, obviously, guys. I hope you're all safe and well listening at home. Ollie and I wish the best for you. Um, but, yeah, listen, thank you very much for your time. We really, really do appreciate it. Um, and keep fighting the good fight, I guess. Ollie, would you like to put it? No. Yeah, thanks, to say the least. But what you do is amazing. And I mean, there's no way me and Rubes as transplant patients, as recipients, can thank you enough for getting the word out there. But I don't know, I won't speak on behalf of Rubes. I'll quite happily keep chatting crap about my kidney and kind of forcing it in. Just like, yep, no, you should be on the organ donation, pal. Anyone in a pub when we're allowed out, you'll hear my stories. And that's fine by me. Good times all around. <laughs> organ, organ Ollie, they call organ him. Organ Ollie, in the, yeah. In the talk your ear off about organ donation. So it's <laughs> oh, he's come again. <laughs> oh, no, I know he's here. <laughs> you want to fight for each kidney? I've got four now, just for the record. So anyone seeing me outside of lockdown afterwards, oh. um, yeah, I can't wait. But yeah, before we <laughs> um, we'll, we'll end the recording there. Yes. But Lovely. thank you very much. Oh, no, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, thank you guys so much for having us. So there you have it, guys. That was a lovely Katie Portell and Neil Sims speaking about all the great work that they do for the NHSBT. Um, Ollie, I feel really inspired. Yes, I did a chef's kiss there instead of me just making out with my mic there. But yeah, it's a beautiful chef's kiss because they're lovely. And thank you again. Um, We're going to be, well, by we, I mean you, Rubes. I'm going to just drop you in it. Uh, Just (laughs) add in any extra information uh what's the words called with information on nowadays because we live in the websites boom, websites links to websites things. and resources <laughs> in our in the info on our insta and places like that if yeah. yeah and i think um there's some really good stuff there's a there'll be a link to a ted talk that katie did yep that we didn't actually get a chance to speak about but that will be on there along with you know lots of information about organ donation and how you can register indubiously anyway Mm. Thanking you again. Toodle pips. Thanking you again. Much love. Peace. Doodles.